My, th- <laughs> my throat is filled with peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> and now I'm washing it down with coffee. This is a horrible... I made a huge mistake. Fettuccine Alfredo. Ugh. Milk was a bad choice. a bad choice. choice. <laughs> yeah. I had a Greek yogurt. But we just we just referred to Anchorman, Office, and Arrested Development all within like thirty seconds. Yeah, they're very similar. All right, oh <clears throat> I can feel the peanut butter on my teeth. <laughs> my God! And the only napkin that I have within reach is one that I've used for ink. So I'm trying to like wipe my mouth here. The good with the spots. part that's not going to smear ink all over my face. Oh my god! I feel like with that you we were... can get started. Yeah, no, yeah. Let's 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 cease that, shall we? Okay. Yeah, go for it if you can. All right, we're gonna make it happen. Speak through the peanut butter. We'll find out. Welcome, mm. welcome everybody to episode forty-nine of the Goulet Pencast, where fountain pens are still a thing. I am Brian Goulet, and I am Drew Brown, and we're here from Goulet Pens to deliver this casual and informal, tangential and extraneous, superfluous and extemporaneous fountain pen show, where we talk about what's going on at the Goulet Pen Company and in our fountain pen lives. In today's show, we're going to talk about bringing back pens from the dead, just how gold are gold nibs, if gold nibs feel better or are worth it if you're writing in print or if you kind of got a need need to write in cursive to feel that benefit. Uh, do fountain pens work in space? Um, we're going to talk about some affordable, super fine nibs. We got a tip of the week about writing angle. We have a pen spotlight on the Platinum Profonte. And apparently, we have the start of pen pass, Pencast Bingo going on. We'll get to more of that in the feedback, which is what's coming up now. All right. As always, we got some feedback from a more intelligent human being than we, um, or at least more educated on a topic. It's a low bar. For, low bar uh, there. Right. So Justin wanted to chime in in regards to our discussion on the potential for an indestructible nib, Brian. And uh, we kind of landed on the fact that it wouldn't work, and yeah, uh, really, if it did, if it, really if it did work, question, you, didn't I? <laughs> and if it did, it wouldn't work, and uh, if it did, you wouldn't want it. Um, but uh, Justin says, for indestructible nibs, Iconal, I'm probably mispronouncing that, is a heat resettable memory alloy. You can set the shape where you'd like it, and then if the tines get sprung, you can put it in hot water, and it returns to its previous shape. It's also slightly springy, depending on the alloy. So it's kind of like a metal ebonite, in a way. That's kind of what it sounds like, because ebonite has a little bit of a hot water resettable memory as well it does but i so i don't know i've i've I've, you know i tried to do a little research on this because you know i am naturally curious and i looked at the wikipedia page and it seems like it's made it's used in like you know automotive like turbos and uh like turbine engines for aircraft and stuff like that so i'm like you know it's supposed to be like very heat strong like it's supposed to resist heat and a lot of that kind of stuff so i'm like it doesn't seem to me like just putting it in some hot water would be like hot enough. Like maybe it heat resets, but it would need like a lot of heat. I don't know. So I don't really know enough about it to know how. It sounds like you're du- you're doubting Justin. Brian. I'm just saying I think that I would I would love to learn more about its use mm. in a nib application because it just there's nothing that I read that showed it used in any like non uh, combustion 
combustible sort of a situation. So I don't know. I'm very curious. I'd be curious, mm. curious to see what it's like. But. Well, maybe it just it's maybe it just is always in a perpetual state of being returned to its natural position when it's under uh, heat. Brian, it's possible. I mean, they use like yeah. titanium and stuff in a lot of you know these applications as well, and they make nibs out of those. So right, but titanium doesn't have a memory. That thing gets bent. Oh yeah, titanium is, bent, is like bent, kind of the bent worst. forever. Yeah, it's and it's also. Pretty easily bended, bent too. Anyway, yeah. I thought that was interesting. So thank you, Justin, for introducing me to an alloy that I certainly didn't know existed. Mm. You know, among the 40 billion others that I'm unaware <laughs> of, a, I'm sure. a lot of alloys out there, yeah. Right. And then we also got a lot of appreciation for Matthew's <laughs> segment last week. So Matthew, <laughs> hey Matthew on Instagram, joined us to discuss analog hobbies, and it was super appreciated. Thank you again, Matthew. And a lot of people who are in the analog Hobby Zone appreciated his musings and wisdom and perspective, and it seemed to me like there were a lot of like-minded people out there who appreciated the spotlight there. So that was also very, very cool to read, and I'm glad that you enjoyed that. Maybe we'll have him back, but we'll certainly try to have more people coming in to help us answer some questions in the future. I've got some ideas. Yeah, we we conceived of this like from the onset with the pencast. We literally just like haven't like done it. Like we we've like been lazy. Yeah, so lazy. But uh, no, we've just opted to make the pencast ever longer <laughs> instead. But uh, no, for sure, we would love to feature more. There was no, people. there was no, pur- th- there was no purpose in that, Brian. That was, <laughs> I know, completely, completely a byproduct of <laughs> yes. lack of preparation. Absolutely. But uh, no, I think it would be cool to feature, you know, more. I don't want to say like random stuff, but like more like tangential things and bring other people into the fold. So, um, yeah, I mean, if y'all are, are interested in that kind of thing, like we did with uh, Matthew last week, uh, please let us know who would be, if you yourself are somebody worth reaching out to, or you have somebody you'd like to see, you know, we can, we, we try to like work it into the Q and a portion so that it's not, doesn't feel so forced, you know, it's like, so we get good questions about things and we have other people who are more experts. I don't know. Maybe we can work that out into more of a thing. So let us know in the comments if you have other people that would be cool to reach out to who are like, you know, experts maybe in other Venn diagram overlapping interests to the pen world. That'd be kind of cool. Or just actual like pen people who aren't us. That would also be cool because, you know, we definitely don't know everything clearly. Anyway. What other feedback do you have, Brian? Oh, okay. You're done. Oh, it's my turn. Okay, cool. Um, So (laughs) we got... uh, some kind words about the Lamy Vista Black, so definitely appreciate that. A um, little bit of feedback, we, you know, we we kind of mentioned like, yeah, we're we're the first ones that we know of, and we were told by Lamy uh, that we were the first U.S. retailer exclusive. Um, but yeah, there's definitely people who are like, well, there was this pen a long time ago. There weren't many of them. Some retailer had it, and so we're trying to like understand we definitely were not aware of anybody else that had anything it seems like there's some who like maybe they swapped a nib maybe they you know there could be some things that were either um you know sold elsewhere regionally in the world and some of them you know maybe like overflow or they had some extras that ended up at a certain retail or stuff like that um that we were not aware of so we're like trying to understand with lami like okay yeah it's like we're getting like super technical about what is an exclusive but to our knowledge we were the first ones who were like they developed an exclusive for us you know, as a U.S. retailer, not sold anywhere else, not, you know, elsewhere in the world, that kind of a thing. So that's the first of our knowledge, but we're trying to understand more. We're definitely not trying to mislead anybody. But the crazy thing is, like, I don't think, I don't, I don't think at least that Lamy keeps like a historical record of every single pen that they've carried and when and all that kind of stuff. It's honestly, most of this stuff is learned through like blogs and Instagram pages and stuff who are just enthusiasts that have collected all these different pens. Like I've asked the people at Lamy and they're like, yeah, we don't have like a, 
archive of every pen we've ever made. And I'm like, why not? Like, oh my gosh, that seems like something that you could totally do as the manufacturer. And they're like, yeah, we just didn't do that in the beginning. And then it was kind of too late. And now we just don't really worry about it. And it's like, okay, well, that kind of stinks. But, you know, so anyway, we're not trying to mislead anybody. But anyway, so got lots of good feedback about it. Um, It's very cool. I plan to do like a more thorough video on it as well. Um, So we'll get that in the next couple of weeks or so. But what's even more fun is that we got lots of great suggestions about PenCast Bingo. <laughs> yes, we did. And, uh, before I read the comments, Drew was like, which, which comments, which uh, statements do you think are going to be on the bingo? And I think I got probably at least half of them in like almost in order <laughs> in terms of that, because we obviously know what we say all the time. Um, so, you know, maybe we'll have, to, we'll have to actually design a card. I don't think we've done that yet or. I don't know, maybe somebody else. And no, I don't even know if there are enough to make a normal yeah, but, bingo but, card. I think normal bingo cards have like 25 squares or something it like that. It is 20, yeah, there's maybe. 25 and there's usually a free space in the middle there that you yeah. can either have as nothing or it's... We definitely don't have that many. It would need to be a very small bingo card. We would have to, uh, well, it has to spell bingo, right? Like it's got to be five, so... It would need to spell something differently. Okay, well, it could spell like, pen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a nine square thing. Anyway... <laughs> or we need some more. So anyway, but uh, some of the ones that we got that apparently are things that we say all the time, uh, the word intentional, definitely true. Uh, when Brian says it depends, uh, oh, that never happens. Literally, it shouldn't be, I, it, it I, shouldn't be a drinking I, game. I, I typed because... that in my notes today as I was answering the questions and I was like, mark off your bingo card because it depends. Mm-hmm. Um, Drew raises an eyebrow, which I believe you did in the first sentence that I was speaking this podcast. Um, I mean, it just happens. It just happens. That's right. I got I, uh, one of my, my driver's license picture. I just sat down in the chair like this so that I could get photographed like this. So they just thought your face um, was like that? Yeah. That's the that's, that's that's how you get it. You just just convince them that your face is stuck like this. So Yeah. Yeah, you know, they, so in this, this is a tangent, but in the state of Virginia, where we are, they had a regulation where you could not smile anymore in your driver's license photo. Cause apparently criminals don't smile when the police pull them over. So they made it so that everyone looked miserable because apparently that made it easier to recognize people or whatever. I don't know, but they did this a number of years ago, but there was some, it was like a couple of weeks before they made this change. I had to renew my license and I did like a super extended renewal. So I still have a photograph of me smiling on my license that's like 10 years old or something. Like it's very old at this point, but I'm like, I'm smiling. I'm not redoing this thing until they make me. Um, yeah. I don't know they still do that in Virginia. Do they make you not smile? And they might've. I was, I was, my, my face was also stuck in a smirk. So. Oh, if you were smirking. Doing, okay. Maybe that counts I'm as doing a that. non-smile. So we just, yeah, you just have to keep it. You just have to keep it. Yeah. There you go. Um, and okay. What else? Uh, obscure movie or TV references for sure. Um, Lamy 2000, just anything about it. Yep. Uh, Brian's saying he sweats a lot. Yes, that is, yes. I'm trying to be better about that, but it's not working. Um, Drew making a joke about Brian's inability to be decisive. Yes, it happens. It happens. Um, Needs to happen. Brian makes a joke about no one liking Brown. (laughs) It's not really about no one liking Brown. It's just about Drew liking Brown more than he should anyway um mentions not really knowing something that they talk about we've already done that (laughs) mentions of how many pens are inked up or habits around cleaning pens yep uh yard work yes drew lay brush drew lay toothbrush um saying the words fair enough Uh, i say that all the time yep and so do you 
Yeah, that's so that's what you say when you want to be nice to somebody that you disagree with. You just say, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. That's an opinion. Um, and then number 84, of course, and uh, turkey hammock, which, you know, we, we call the turkey hammock like it's the turkey hammock zone, like of the pencast. So it's like, I don't know. Is that really, does that really count? I guess so. I guess if we just say it a lot. Anyway, so pretty fun. You know, maybe we'll do something, put it in a bingo card, or maybe you want to make it a, a coffee or tea drinking game because we try to be family friendly for the most part. Um, so there you go. That's uh, that's feedback we got this week. Now let's go on to some new stuff. All right, Drew. We're, all right, Brian. We're a little lighter on the new stuff right now, which I think is okay because stuff comes in waves and all that. Anytime you're curious, you can always check out our new arrivals or coming soon pages on the website. That is where you're going to get actually accurate information. And then we just kind of feature some of it. The big thing that we have this week is we have some Sailor Bespoke. So these are king of pens, the big ones. These are Yurushi, color Yurushi, uh, 12 of them. So there are 12 different Yurushi colors. Urushi, Brian. Okay, I'm sorry. We're going to get, we're going to, there are going to be some things said. Fair enough. It's not Yurushi. I just, oh gosh. <laughs> uh, so yes, very cool pens. Big nibs, glorious. They look great. They're they're just you know pretty monochromatic. They're not crazy techniques or anything. Uh, but if you're looking for a big pen with Urushi on it, Urushi, uh, these would be more comparable to say like the Namiki Yukari Royale or Emperor. Um, so if you're looking at those pens with just like the Vermilion or Black Urushi, those are in like the twelve hundred to two thousand dollar range. These ones are what around the fourteen hundred or so. So definitely an investment of a pen but very cool pens i mean they're big but they're i mean they look really cool and these are bespoke so there's not going to be gobs of them i think there's a few dozen worldwide of each color so it's not a lot of them but we are one of the handful excuse me one of the five i believe bespoke dealers in the u.s and we have our hands on a few of them so uh by a few of them i mean (laughs) <laughs> 12 different colors with like a couple of pens each maybe um so we have those got some beautiful photography that we're working on and uh you can pick those up if you are interested uh forget the range of nib sizes that we're going to have on this one drew but it's going to be on the site so i know it's usually more limited in the king of pen size so it might be just medium it's, it's it's not like you can get like oh yeah i want to zoom king of pens yeah it's not really going to happen uh but we have what we have and there we go and we have finally Assuming, okay, so we're recording this on Tuesday. Assuming everything goes to plan and we can actually publish this. But looking back in time now, when Friday, when this publishes, we should have already published the Sailor Nibs video that we've been hyping up for a little bit. I'm very excited about this one because I went like super deep on the actual using of the nibs and stuff like that. Um, I'm generally pretty happy with how the video turned out. And of course, anytime we're doing something, I'm not gonna say new, but you know, it's, it's a somewhat of a different format of video. It's like a half an hour video. I mean, it's a lot of nibs to cover but i really am just writing a lot with these and just a little little inside baseball here kind of behind the scenes when i was recording this i am notoriously awful at multitasking especially while doing video so 
Uh, if I am trying to write something and talk at the same time, my brain is just like one or the other. That's what you get. You cannot do both. So I actually had to do some like voiceover kind of stuff and kind of blend it. But I think we were able to work it pretty well. So it is me. It's me doing everything. But I basically had to write the stuff out and then stop and then say what I just did and then overlay the two. So I think it worked out pretty well. But we have some things to learn. And we had some new angles and stuff that we were trying to really feature. You know, it's really hard, Drew. Like when you're trying to feature, you know, uh, uh, using a macro lens and you're trying to get like maybe 15 to 20 millimeters, you know, with that dot grid ruling uh, and, and really show the detail on that. It's kind of a challenge. Cause like, I mean, literally I had to wait about a minute every time I hit the record button because just hit it, just pushing that button, the camera would shake, you know, for that long Oh, wow. because it was so zoomed in. So I had to wait for that shake to stop completely. Even just like trying to like touch it and slow it down. Like I had to wait for it to stop completely before I could actually write. So it's doing those types of videos. It's stuff like that. It just takes freaking forever, but I think it looks pretty cool. So please let go over and check that video out. Let me know what you think. Cause I'm thinking we're, we might do one on the Lummi 2000 coming up next. We might do some other ones. I'm thinking about Pilot and Pelican and some of these other brands that have a lot of different nibs. I think it'd be so cool to go deep on all those nibs, even though it just greatly increases how many pens that I need to clean after the fact. Uh, and I've not cleaned a single one of those sailors out since doing that video either. So Drew's shaking his head, but you know, man, I got other things to do, dude. Bingo. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, please let me know what you think of that video. I'm really excited about that one. It was uh, cool to get something that like pen nerd deep into it. So uh, that's what I got, Drew. How about you? Yeah, uh, I just... You mentioned the coming soon section, Brian, and that that really is something we don't talk about a whole lot. Generally, what we talk about on the Pencast are things that are either coming out in the next like day or two or things that have come out in the previous few days. But if you go to our coming soon section, there is stuff that are coming way later. So you can really get a sneak peek of some really awesome pens. We've got new Retro 51s on there. We've got some crazy new Paniders. We've got new Banu stuff, a ton of new Sailor stuff. And then, yeah, the sailor stuff. Oh my gosh! You this this crazy King of Pens Makie Sakura Nagare is on here oh, yeah. with the Rodden River on it. Like y'all should go check this out. It's cool. And then this three seven 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 six ah, three <laughs> three seven seven six century. This tenth anniversary thing with the lines in it. Like, and then the new the new uh, Roshizuku inks are on here too, guys. Mm-hmm. You can go check those check those out. So it's really fun. Give it a look, and then you can sign up for the notification list on any of these if you'd like to be know, known, notified when they come in stock. So definitely something to check out. Yeah, and little little tip here, you know, because we do get asked about this pretty regularly. Whenever we have something that we've never launched before, it always says coming, either coming soon if we don't have any kind of a date, or it says coming in June, coming in July, August, whatever. You know, we try to estimate as close as we can. Stuff changes all the time. But if we have launched it before and we're waiting to restock it, it'll say out of stock. So just a little fun hack there in case you're ever wondering like, oh my gosh, did I miss out? If it says coming in XYZ, you know that you haven't missed out yet. We just haven't gotten it. Cool. Or it might actually say restocking. Like right now, mm. um, you know, well, for a while, our Retro 51 Fire and Dice, that was out of stock. Mm. But because there was so much popularity, we actually chose to have it say restocking in June. Yeah. Um, so you'll sometimes see that as well if we yeah. want to be super clear about is specifically a you know well uh, you know a product that's got a lot of hype behind it. Yeah, there you go. All right, let's get into the Q and A's. We got some good ones this week. I'm excited. 
All right. Well, we've got a question to kick things off this week, Brian, from Make Right Stuff. And Make Right Stuff is asking us if you could bring back any discontinued pen you sold before, Ooh. what would it be? So we have to have sold it previously. Okay. That's you know what? I appreciate I appreciate having more parameters because you know I would follow. You know it up. that person has been watching this show. They know that I feel seen. Brian needs rails. I feel seen here by Make Right Stuff. Um, no, it was good. And, and truth be told, Drew put his notes in here first, so I was like, mm, "That's fine." You're the you're okay. the you're the primary answerer on this Fair one. Enough. So you 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 go. I'll, well, I'll chime I've, in. As I have needed. some that that kind of overlap with yours a little bit, but I actually came up with some completely different ones. So you and I have some different stuff to talk about, which is cool. So this one is is not one that probably a lot of people are going to know about, but Lamy with their studio before they had the Imperial Blue, which has been years now. They had a different blue, which was much more of like a true Goulet blue color. Uh, I think they only had it for maybe a year or two uh, when we first started carrying them until they changed to the Imperial blue. So, I mean, it's, it's really been like a decade since this was changed, but I have one of those OG ones. Uh, and so I absolutely love it. I can't remember what it was called. It was not Imperial blue. It was called something else. I'm really bad with names, but um, for sure. Was it, it wasn't Ocean Blue, right? That was the Safari. That was the Safari. Or the All-Star. Well, yeah, there's the All-Star, but no, it was... Anyway, it was a bright blue. I'm sure we have a picture of it. I know I have one uh, because I kept it because I was like, well, this is Yeah, I remember this those. Blue. Yeah, so um, if we had known at the time that it was going to go away, then I would have been like, oh my gosh, let's buy a million of them. Uh, but anyway, so that's really cool. And uh, the Imperial Blue is really nice too. It's a nice navy blue. I'm sure it's probably a, actually a more popular blue. Uh, but, uh, of course, my own heart speaks to that classic, like, cobalt blue color. Um, so there's that one. There's the um, Pilot Vanishing Point Twilight. That was one of... That that was my favorite Vanishing Point that I think we've ever seen. I do like the matte black a lot. So um, I would say if the matte black had been a special edition that went away, or a limited edition, then I would be really in love with that. But because we still have it, you know... The, the twilight feels so special because it was only here. So it was a, it was a gradient uh, from like a teal, like a turquoise to a purple. Beautiful pen, kind of an ombre effect. Uh, it was in 2016. Oh, I can't remember, but anyway. I don't, I don't know. I think, I think we have a blog years. post on it. Sorry, I didn't look up the, the year, but it was a limited edition. So they only made 2016, 15, whatever of them. It was a number of years ago, but I would totally bring that back as a regular edition if I could. Um, another one, this is one that we <laughs> technically sold like a couple of. We had it on our website for a good five or seven years, but we barely ever got any of them. And we just recently found out that we're not going to get any more because they're not going to make them. Really, it's just, well, I'll go ahead and tell you what it is. It's the Namiki Yukari Nightline Moonlight. Beautiful pen. Uh, very sad because we I feel like we never got to see its potential because basically we, we, I'm, I mean, I think maybe we ever got three pens in over the years. It was like we would have. And they sold instantly. Oh, yeah, because we have so many people on the wait list because there was so much time that went in between. We would get one in and it was like, how in the world do we choose? Do we hold, wait to get more? And we were like, it's literally been like three years since we'd gotten one. So we'd get one in and then we'd sell it. It'd be gone in four minutes and then it'd be like, dang it, you know, and then the list would start over again. So beautiful pen. Ugh, I just wish we could have them all day long. Um, another one, this was one that uh, was an exclusive that we did with Monograppa. 
Uh, it was cool. They like found some nibs. They had some leftover true celluloid material, and it was like, okay, what are what can we mix mix up and kind of do as an exclusive here? So we didn't have a whole ton of these, but uh, I did really love this pen. It was the Monograppa Shiny Lines with a Dove nib. It was the extra one thirty model? Oh, that pen was just beautiful. That rodden, that str- it wasn't rodden. Sorry, it kind of looked like rodden, but it was that stripey kind of a celluloid, um, kind of like you think about Pelican with those like little stripes that they have in there. It kind of looked like that effect, but it was this beautiful like silver and, and white kind of a material. Oh, it just looks so good. And it was like the kind of celluloid that they just don't make anymore. So it was an honor to be able to have that pen at all. And they sold pretty well, and we didn't have a ton of them, but then they were gone and. I did keep one of those though. I'm glad I did. Um, And then I've got another one here that overlaps with yours, so I won't spoil it. Um, And then I know you mentioned an all-star, so I won't say that all-star, but I will say the ruby red all-star was a great one. Um, Also big fan of the uh, copper orange color. That was beautiful. And, And the copper orange ink. We only ever got like 30 bottles of that copper orange ink, but that ink was awesome. Man, really I love that ink. And we never really got the dark to see lilac. Potential. The dark lilac ink always gets always has this reputation for oh, yeah. being sought after, but they they sleep on the uh um the orange. Well, I think the orange ink literally there was just never enough of it for people to even know about it. Um uh, the dark yeah. lilac there was at least enough of it for it to get out there and for the Good hype point. machine to get rolling. Um but I mean the copper orange is a stunner. If you ever come across that ink, get it cuz it's awesome. Uh, and then, of course, the Safari Dark Lilac. Um, you know, they did come out with the purple candy one, which was pretty close. But that OG Dark Lilac was awesome, especially the ink to go along with it, you know. So um, a lot of good past, like, Lamy editions and stuff like that. If we, a Q&A like this a couple of years ago, I would have said, you know, the OG Safaris, the um, ones that they ended up doing, the Savannah and uh, especially in the Terra, which they did bring those back. And I was just like, I never thought I would see the day. So that was pretty awesome. So I'm like, you never know. You never know what they might bring back. I mean, it's the first time they've ever brought any of those back after, what, 40 years or 35 years or something like that. But, hey, no, it was like, yeah, it was like 40 years because it was 1980 was the first year they came out with the Safari. So crazy. But anyway, those are some of the ones that I would bring back. All of those we sold. All of them... All of them that I mentioned here, I have because I kept every single one because I loved them all. So, um, except nice. for the one that you're going to mention first, which is one of my biggest pen regrets. I know. Same here. Mm-hmm. Same here. And that would be the Pilot Stargazer. Yeah. This pen was a small pen. It had just the perfect amount of subtle sparkle within the resin. There were only, I think, three or four colors. There was a white, a burgundy, a blue. Mm-hmm. Um, that might have been it, actually. But it was I think more it was a black or less... Too. I think it was, there I might think have it was been four a black, colors, yeah, yeah. Four colors. It was more or less a slightly larger, heavier-duty, gold-nib version of the Pilot Prera. The capping action was very similar. It had, you know, almost a pocket pen feel to it, but not quite. But it was, it was a smaller pen. But it did have a tiny little gold nib on there, and it just looked good. And I regret it, too. And I told myself, and I, might, I told you and Rachel, too. I'm like, oh, they're discontinuing the Stargazer. i got to pick one of those up. And I just never did. And I've been looking for it ever since. Looked for it at the pen show this past weekend. Still couldn't find it. I've checked on eBay. There's hardly any listings for it. I, can't, I don't even know what the average resale price for them are, but I would love for Pilot to bring back the Stargazer. Mm-hmm. And one that was probably one of your first uh, thoughts, Brian, that you probably omitted because I had it on here first, was the Platinum PTL 5000A. Now, this pen has come and gone twice now. 
And both times it reigned supreme, short-lived, as the most affordable gold nib we carried. Mm-hmm. And it was just a great way to have someone purchase a gold nib at an affordable price, and it performed excellently. It's a platinum pen, and they perform really, really well, and this was no exception. So it was uh, normally right at that $100 price point, too. Which, it was um, sub $100. I want to say it was like 87 yeah, I or something. Yeah, it was like 89 or Yeah, it was it was. It's the only $100 gold nib pen that we've probably ever carried. Yeah, it was truly something. So I don't know. It, it, it came back once already. Maybe it'll come back a, th- I mean, a second time. So like time. I liked that because the price was so good. As a pen, like it was very light. It was very thin. So it was like it was yeah. a great value, which I loved it. You're for paying that. for the nib. Yeah, but like if that if they came out with that pen now and it was the same price as you know a Stargazer or a, a VP or something like that, I'd be like, nah. No, pass. I want it because it was under hundred dollars. Yeah, it was, it was, it was right yeah, at hundred dollars. A lot of it. If this, if it could come back for ninety nine ninety nine, absolutely That'd be all awesome. day long. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I know this is an unrealistic dream, but <laughs> at one point uh, we sold a Delta Unica, which was a more or less flat pen that kind of mm-hmm. um, arced upward. Uh, you know, kind of flared out, had a kind of flat top on it. But for a very short time, we sold a celluloid version of this pen, and it had a steel nib. But I do believe, Brian, it was under $100 yes. for a cellu- a true Italian celluloid. Basi- and basically, we screwed up. Like It, it was a mistake. They, they wouldn't, should not have made that for us, and we did not know what we had when we had it. No, so we did not. it was not. kind of a bunch of mistakes all around. That pen basically should not have happened, especially for that price. So It was a, it was a criminally good deal. It was. And did you keep one of those, Brian? I did, yeah. The celluloid? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good man. I did. Good man. Yeah. Any, I should have. Any exclusive that we ever do, I keep just in every color because I'm like, yeah. the odds of ever being able to find this again are going to be almost. Not different. only that, but it was a Delta Orange celluloid. Yeah. It was like the same like, celluloid with, they use on their Dolce Vita's and stuff. Yeah. But it was 100%. Like, the, even the Dolce Vita is not a Dolce Vita. Even that pen's not 100% celluloid. I think they, so u- I think they used just, to be, but then as, that's as right, celluloid yeah. became rarer and rarer, they yeah. moved away from doing it. Yeah. Yeah. But there was no trim or anything. It was just a just a hunk of celluloid. Yeah, it was very, very minimalist. Kind of like an Edison pen. It was like that kind of a minimalist mm-hmm. look. But it was- ah, okay. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm getting <laughs> upset. Okay. Um, and, then, and then the one that Brian did mention, my favorite Lamy All-Star color, the Coffee All-Star, which was what a this, shocker. Like, beautiful beautiful like matte cocoa it was like it a, the color of hot, hot chocolate it is a stunner of a pen i oh, like man that's a that is a brown pen that i can get behind like that is done right that one's good. it is it's a very good, good one it's a very good one um what about the brown vanishing point brian because i would like for that one to come back too that one is one that i will not get behind because it looks oh come on me, it looks so professional it looks like a shiny it was it like, like a shiny turd it's just completely no it's completely flat there's nothing no. going on with it it looked executive. It looked kind of turn of the century, mid century modern okay. executive. I, I okay. loved it. like Madison Avenue, old school. Yeah, man. I think that so that did that had the chrome trim, didn't it? I yeah. think that with gold trim would actually look a little sharper. The brown uh, with the gold that to me would look more of that like classic executive kind of a look. Okay, fair enough. I, I'll take. Oh, I said fair enough. Uh, <laughs> I agree with that. I don't. I'm, I think, I'm not I don't even know, the brown with disagreeing. The brown with, with the you. chrome to me just it. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it all. I'll take anything. If you want to bring back a brown vanishing point in any way, yes, please. I'll take. You, I'll take that one over the yellow. The yellow was like mm, not not so hot in my opinion. The I liked movie. the yellow too. Yeah. I also thought that looked because I think the vanishing point overall has this kind of 
World's Fair style vibe to it. So I think that a brown or a yellow, one of those more vintagey colors, really works well with the with the overall aesthetic. You know, something okay. that, like, honestly, if they wanted to make a funky pistachio like you would see on old appliances, I think that would do well too. Like I think that 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 chrome like avocado kind of, color. Yeah, I, mean, I really the do. Yellow, I think that the I yellow think, that they had was like autumn harvest. It like looked like yeah, that exactly. Color. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that totally works. If you look at the clip and the profile, mm. it, it, it mimics, you know, that whole world of tomorrow sort of vibe. And I dig it. It does and have I, a little bit of that vibe. Yeah. 100%. Carousel, 100%. Carousel I think, of progress I think that, vibe. Yeah. Yes. Bring it, please. <laughs> it's Give a me more great, vintage big, inspired. beautiful tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, man. You know how it goes. So that's my list. I think that's pretty solid. That's a pretty solid list, Joe. I got to say. You know what else would look? All right. You know what else would look good in a VP? Now that I'm thinking about, it? you got me thinking about vintage colors. I'm thinking that like toothpaste mint kind of a color that was big in like the 40s. Oh yeah, like, like what you'd see on old, um, you'd see the on old uh, Parkers and stuff like that. Yeah, or like an old Cadillac or something. You know, I'm thinking something like that. I could see that. Sure. I could see that working really well, maybe. Like like an old like an old minty Vespa, you know. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. That would look pretty yeah. tight on a VP with the chrome. I get you. That 100. That I could get behind. Yeah, man. Come on, pilot. Come on. I'm, Make it happen. Yes. Vintage pilot. Million dollar ideas it. here. You're getting for free. Do one. All you just got to do is everything. All the work. And just let us carry it. <laughs> All right. Cool. That was a fun question. I loved going down memory yeah. lane there. Um, now we got a question from Mark that says, where is the gold in a gold nib? Is the entire nib a gold alloy? Is there gold in the tipping material? Does anyone still make a solid gold nib? Drew, what is up? There are there are a couple questions packed into this mm. one, isn't there? It's all related, though. Well, Mark, uh, the entire nib is a gold alloy. It's not solid gold, um, except, uh, yeah, no. So the whole thing is an alloy mm-hmm. um, made of gold. The tipping has no gold in it. The tipping is some form of other alloy, an ultra-hard alloy. It used to be iridium. Now it's just a bunch of other hard stuff, but... Um, just so I got my numbers right, I did write some stuff down here. Um, so you'll usually see gold nibs in either 18 karat or 14 karat. Okay. Mm-hmm. So gold is measured. Like the reason you see 24 karat representing pure gold is because it's like, you know, a certain amount of parts out of 24 or 24 being the max parts of gold. Something can be essentially a hundred percent. So, um, you know, that, that the max you can be is, you know, 24 parts gold. So 18 karat gold is made up of 75% gold and 25% alloy. So it does have some legit gold in there, a lot of legit gold in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 14 karat gold is made up of 58.3% gold and 41.7% alloy. Um, and then pure gold, 24 karat gold is a gold that has not been mixed with any other alloys. And uh, you don't really see nibs being made with that. I did a little bit of research, and it seems like there might have been some 24-karat gold nibs out there, but they were very specifically treated so that they weren't bendy and awful like a pure 24-karat gold Mm. most likely would be because the softness would just be way, way too... It wouldn't it wouldn't work properly. So mm-hmm. it's possible it could be done if in some way the gold was coated or treated in such a way that it would make it more rigid and withstand a little bit more. So I won't say that there has never been one. Um, I couldn't confirm 100%. I didn't take that much time doing I mean, it. I couldn't someone's, name, prob- I, someone's probably done it, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just like I'm sure, you know, fountain pens have been around for 150 or yeah. so years. Like, I'm sure... You know, there there was a lot of technology, especially in the early 1900s, mid 1900s, where people were 
testing all kinds of different alloys and materials. And that's where you oh, have yeah. all these crazy pin, different, you know, types of resins and stuff like that, because there was a incentive to innovate. And I'm sure people tested pure gold, you know, on a nib, Certainly. just as they Certainly. test titanium and palladium and all these other things, you know, but mm-hmm. it's a matter they've of- done, They've done both of those nibs, yeah. um, you know, with, with uh, you know, pretty, pretty good success. Yeah. Uh, you might think that an 18 karat gold is just inherently better than a 14 karat gold nib. Um, and in some ways, yes, if that's what you're after. But while, yes, more gold traditionally is going to be softer than less gold, it doesn't mean that the nib's going to be more bendy. And you know where I heard that, Brian? Where'd you hear that, Drew? An old Q&A that you did. Hey! So <laughs> Brian's been asked this question before. I may or, I'll I may, or may not have also covered this in the Sailor video that we published. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, this is not new information, but it's very, very frequently asked information. Yeah. So um, what Brian said in this video was that 14 karat gold nibs uh, are often more flexible because they can withstand different types of grinds a little bit better and different types of shaping methods during manufacturing to actually make them more bendy. Whereas if you tried to put an 18 karat nib through that same manufacturing process, it's so soft that it wouldn't actually be resilient enough to withstand those types of manufacturing procedures. So uh, you'll often find 14, the choice for people who are going to manufacture nibs with the express intent of making them flexible or bendy or what have you. So Yeah, that is weird, right? They actually need a stronger alloy in order to make it more flexible. I know. What? So more gold does not more flexible make. Mm. I mean, technically, gold is softer, but it's it's not the, like flexibility, or should I say like pliability is not the only factor. Like, yes, you want the nib to flex, but you want it to come back as well. So if you just had a pure yep. gold nib, it would flex real easy once, and then it would just be like, you know... Uh, so if you need it to bounce back, you actually need it to have some strength and it goes beyond just the makeup of the material itself. You get into other factors like the shaping and the, you know, all this other stuff that gets way more complex about nib makeup, um, beyond just the thing. So it's like, I think anything that you have in like the jewelry space or anything where there's precious metals being used, there's a lot of marketing hype like it's sort of like cameras with megapixels it's you're like oh if it has more megapixels it must be a better camera it's like well megapixels. not necessarily Me- more megapixels means it has more pixels but that doesn't mean it's a better camera there's so many other factors it's just that's the thing that gets the hype so i think nibs can maybe get some of that i think you can get some of that certainly in like the jewelry space and that kind of thing so it's a lot of factors but yeah but but the, i think the point is though if you have a gold nib Whatever out, whatever makeup of gold that it is, it is that all the way through. It's not like, you know, half of it's gold and the other half of it is something else. It's like it's the same. It's the same makeup throughout the entire nib, except for the tipping, which is what I had to contribute. Yeah. Well, we before you, before you do, just you, you mentioned that not, you're not going to have a pure. Uh, you could potentially have. 24 karat gold plating. Yes. Perhaps. True. Um plate plating is different. Um so yeah, yes. you could you could plate that thing in 24 karat gold all day, but the actual composition of the nib, yeah. it has to it has to be but a little bit lower we, for it to function properly. I mean, I can't speak for every retailer, but it would it would not be appropriate to advertise a nib that's plated in gold but is some other metal, probably stainless steel underneath. It would not be appropriate to call that a gold nib. 
you know, it would be a gold plated nib or gold color or something like that. But like, I mean, we sell pens that are obviously gold colored, but they're stainless steel. We always call them a stainless steel nib. And then we talk about it being plated in gold or something like that. So that the plating is so thin that won't actually affect the performance or anything. It's literally just an, a visual thing. It's like microns of gold that are on top of the surface of that. But if we are, which is why you'll see them on gin house. Yeah. But if we advertise a gold nib, it is gold through and through. Um, with the exception of the tipping, which Drew did allude to. So the tipping, you know, especially if you look at some of the unbranded steel nibs, um, a lot of them say like Iridium Point or Iridium Point Germany. Um, that's kind of a generic phrase. Uh, Iridium is a very rare precious metal. It's one of the hardest metals in existence. Uh, Basically came from like one meteor in Russia or something that crashed a very long time ago. And there was only, I mean, it was like, it's like a space metal. Like it didn't come from earth. It's only here because some asteroid crashed into earth however long ago. Um, And there's only so much of Iridium out there. So uh, even as small as fountain pen tipping is, uh, basically, there's not enough iridium left anymore to use that on nibs. So it's still kind of used, um, you know, in some fountain pen worlds uh, as what it's called that tip, tipping is made of, but it's basically not that anymore. It's some other precious metal, probably in the platinum family. I think often it's rhodium or maybe some other alloy. Some of it ends, being, ends up being kind of proprietary, So, uh, but just it doesn't really matter so much. Just know that it's a much more durable metal that's welded to the gold or to the steel uh, because it's harder wearing than either gold or steel. So the tipping, that's what's um, basically because of the friction of you writing with it, you know, paper, if you look at it under a microscope, uh, is abrasive. It's a very, very fine abrasive, but over enough time, the friction and the heat that'll build up and the abrasiveness of that paper will wear away the tip of the pen. And if you have, if you have an untipped gold nib pen, you'll see that wearing happening quite quickly, like in a matter of weeks or months. And it'll wear away. But if you have the tipping on it, it'll last years and years and years. So that's why they do the tipping on it. Um, but you know, know that if you have a gold nib, okay, technically the tipping is not gold, but that's actually a good thing because you wouldn't want it to be gold. All right. That's right. Cool. Okay. Um, my friend Heather, whom I met at the Raleigh Pen Show this weekend, hi Heather, Hello. wrote in and asked us, hi Brian and Drew. Hello. So I always hear that gold nibs have more bounce and offer a different writing experience than steel nibs. But since I don't write in cursive, would I notice enough of a difference in my line variation by using a softer nib that would make it worth the price? Great question. Mm. Great question. That is a solid one. So this is one where I was like, get out your bingo cards because it depends. Hey. So we just talked about gold nibs. Not all gold means the same thing because there's other factors involved in a nib that affect how bouncy it is, how wet it is, how springy it is, and so on and so forth. All else equal, if a nib is exactly the same design, you have one made of steel and one made of gold, the gold one will be bouncier, it will be wetter, and so on, because the metal itself will be softer. But that doesn't mean you can just blanket apply that to every nib, because they're all very different. You know, a Lamy 2000 nib has like no bounce to it whatsoever, even though it's 14 karat gold. Whereas you can have steel nibs like the Diplomat uh, Magnum is a dinky little steel nib that is like springier than a lot of gold nibs. So it really depends on how the nib is designed. Um, But I would say in general, yeah, that's part of the reason that people go with gold nibs. I think the heart of the question here, though, is basically, is it worth because gold nibs are more expensive than most steel nib pens? 
or I would say the same pen, if you have a gold nib on it versus a steel nib, will certainly be more expensive. Um, but I would say, you know, is it worth it to pay that premium for the whatever the writing experience is that you feel that you're paying for? Is that does that make a difference when you're writing in print versus cursive? Because I think cursive, longhand cursive, especially if you're writing, you know, in a Western language, um, it's going to be lots of connected letters. It's going to be very flowy, you know, and the smoothness, the bounce, because you have a lot of continuous letters together, um, you have a lot of opportunity to feel the smoothness of that nib, the bounciness and that kind of thing versus the very like start and stop kind of writing style. I would say if you're writing in print in a Western language, it's more akin to writing, you know, maybe in a, you know, a, an Asian script um, where you have lots of characters, right? So lots of short strokes and things like that, um, which I would say if you are writing in print, that's, I think a lot of people who write in print, especially write small. And tell me if you feel this way, Drew. Um, a lot of them really prefer Japanese nibs because they are very responsive and they're good for the kind of the short strokes and stuff. So a lot of people who do write small, especially in print, really like Japanese nibs. Um, you know, who are writing in, in Western languages. Um, Which are often flexible. Yeah, a lot of them can be. So, um, and in fact, in Japan, a lot of times they'll have hard versions of their nibs and soft versions of their nibs. Um, in the U.S., at least, they don't often import both hard and soft versions, but like the Pilot Falcon that we have that's pretty springy, that is the soft nib. Uh, that's all they import into the U.S. But in Japan, they have a hard nib version of the falcon that you could get but i think in the u.s it would be like why we want the soft nib version you know so i mean i would love to see soft nibs on everything and platinum's got that too platinum has soft nibs on a few of their 3776s well they also have you know sometimes they'll have a soft fine or a soft medium uh but they'll also have you know just a, a regular or a hard fine or hard medium um that's more the standard so you know a lot of that is because they want to have that bouncier feel and, you know, get more variation and stuff like that. Anyway, all that to say that um, I think it's going to depend, you know, of course, on your own writing style, your own preferences. I think it's, it's, it's hard to make a blanket statement like, yeah, it's going to be worth it for everybody, for every pen. A lot of people are not going to feel that it's worth it. But it is interesting to me because I haven't, you know, I don't think we've done like a survey of any kind recently that like we've asked people, do you tend to write in cursive or do you tend to write more in print? I think that would be really interesting because I feel like while there are a lot of people who write in cursive and that's like a big appeal, I think in practicality, there's probably a lot more people that write in print, at least in the US, because cursive is just not, I mean, you, it's not, it's not being taught very much anymore. But even if you were taught it a long time ago, it might not be that great or that comfortable or whatever, or that practical. Like, can other people read your you know, cursive. So I feel like probably more people are writing in print with fountain pens, but I, that's, that's just kind of my gut. I don't really, I don't really know that for sure, but that's the kind of what I feel. I don't know, but I don't know. I, I do know that, uh, years ago near around the time where I started working here, I, uh, well, after not once I had bought myself some more pricey pens, like, you know, some, Golden nib pens. Mm -hmm. I gifted my brother a custom seventy four, and he has no interest in buying more pens. He has never shopped with us. It, like all of his ink comes from just me, but <laughs> yeah. uh, he loves writing with it, and he writes with it all the time. But that's his pen. That custom seventy four is his pen, and he was one hundred percent. Not only did he only write in uh, print, 
but in all caps mm -hmm. all the time. Like he just like wrote all print, caps, yeah. all print, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And just a couple weeks ago, I realized he now writes in all cursive. I'm like, when did that happen? Really? He's like, I don't know. Just eventually, eventually, I just I was writing with my pen so much, and I just kind of started relearning it. So whoa, I didn't even like years. Like his entire adult life, he wrote in that. You know, but. Eventually, that Custom 74 just told him it wanted to be writing in cursive, and eventually that's where it went. So I was amazed at that. You know, but uh, that's that's cool. I had that same experience. I never, I mean, I learned cursive in what, third grade? It was, I was not good at it. My handwriting was not great, and I really didn't use it unless I was forced to. It just wasn't my thing. I used pencils a lot. I preferred mechanical pencils when I was younger. Um, it wasn't until my mid twenties and really getting into this whole thing. Like I was not thinking about cursive at all, literally up until I got my first fountain pens and I started to write with them. And immediately I was like, I want to write in cursive now with this. It was like, like what, like what your brother experienced, but within 10 minutes of getting my first fountain pen in my hand, I was like, I don't remember how to write a few of these letters, but now I'm going to go look them up. You know? And I looked at the, old school like thing with the dotted lines and the arrows and like how do you do a Q again and I was like I that I was like this uppercase Q is a disaster I'm just gonna not write it that way like a big two I'm like I'm gonna adapt this and I'm just gonna refuse to write a two as my uppercase Q no. so I do do my Q's differently but uh I had that ex same experience I'm curious I'm especially curious in the comments like do y'all experience the same like you know, like compulsion to like write cursive more with a fountain pen uh, because I feel like that happens with some people, but I just, I don't know if that's the majority for everybody or maybe it's if you write with them long enough because there's a lot of people that get into fountain pens and they write with them for a year or two and then they kind of don't write as much and they're more casual about it. I mean, this, of course, the turkey hammock folks are like the diehards, right? Like everybody watching this, y'all are like, we're gonna be pretty biased in these comments, right? I mean, the casual fountain pen user is not gonna be so hardcore about it, but... I'd be, I'd be really you never know. I'm, I'm, I'm consistently surprised by sometimes in the comments, I'll have somebody say like, hey, I've been listening to you for a while. I just bought my first fountain pen and like, oh, oh so that's that's your timeline. Okay, so you never know. Um, well, that is cool. When I, I told Heather at the show, I said, well, the Pilot E95S is your most accessible option into gold nib territory mm -hmm. if you wanted to, uh, you know, take that leap. If you're, you know, print is not a whole lot different as Brian said to Japanese Chinese characters, you know, in just terms of mm -hmm. nib performance and what its intended function is. And then you could also go with something also what Brian said, the Diplomat Magnum is an affordable option to just test out a slightly springy nib at a really, really affordable price yeah. um, to see if you enjoy that that bouncy sensation when you're writing. Yeah, that's true. That's So that's a steel nib on the Magnum. I mean, it's a $20 or just over $20 pen. Um, it's not a gold nib, but I think it's the least. It it's, simulates it's, the, yeah, it's, it's uh, the, the experience of some gold. It's nibs. the most affordable way to get an experience like the springiness you would get with most gold nibs. That's right. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be different. And that, and that nib's got a little bit of drag on it too. It's not like the smoothest writing nib either. Uh, but I think that in terms of springiness and bounce, it's, it's up there with some, a lot of 14 karat gold nibs. So mm -hmm. that's pretty neat, but yeah, kind of cool. I would love to know more about that in terms of how people actually use these things. But um, so yeah, I think that it's really going to depend. You could certainly, 
could certainly benefit from having a more expensive pen, but the best thing would be if you have anybody that's got a gold nib or you go to a pen show or you have any way to actually try one for yourself, then you're gonna know immediately if it feels worth it to you. So really the best way is to get it in your hand and try it. That's right. All right, next one we got. Drew, you're a space guy, so this is gonna be a fun question. Emily asks, would current fountain pen designs perform in the same way in space? Uh, would the controlled leak be able to be controlled in, well, Emily said zero gravity, but isn't it technically microgravity? Isn't zero gravity like uh, not a thing anymore? I don't know, but we, we anyway. get what she's asking. <laughs> with, um, with nearly no gravity, um, would it be possible to ink a fountain pen? And would the ink float out of the bottle and not into the pen? That is, uh, that's a lot of logistics there to think about with inking a pen. It is, and just because I find space stuff cool doesn't mean I'm any sort of an authority or expert. But um, Brian and I talked a little bit about this, and uh, we're going to venture into territory here that we're not super educated about. But we're gonna we're gonna try to control ourselves. Everybody's got bingo so, like three times over so far. On right. This one. So um, <laughs> no, the leak would not be controlled. Nothing would be controlled. We can get that out of the way right now. Yeah. There is no control in zero gravity or microgravity or whatever. Like. The word control is just not going to exist when you're dealing with liquid. That's just yeah. not a thing. Yeah. Liquid does not behave in space. So you can see videos of astronauts with all sorts of funky liquid. Like what you see, if you see a blob of water floating around, that's what your ink is going to be doing. It's mostly water. So that's what it's going to be doing inside of a converter, inside of a cartridge or an eyedropper, whatever. That, that stuff's just going to be floating around. And um, yeah, as far as, uh, you know, with the... Um, would it be possible to ink a fountain pen? Yes. Suction definitely can occur. You know, mm-hmm. you see astronauts sucking food out of bags all the time. Like that, that, that still works. So, you know, suction is actually an inherent function, even in space, uh, you yeah, know, vacuum and suction is yeah, very much, pressure, very much yeah, a thing. It's all pre- yeah. pressure regulation and stuff like that. So that would, yeah, that, that area of physics is alive and well in uh, zero. You just might be sucking it out of the air instead of out of the yes. bottle. Cause as soon as you open so the bottle, also, all she the, also all the asks, ink would just like come out of the bottle. <laughs> right. Would the ink float out of the bottle and not into the pen? Both, both. Um, it, it would float out of the bottle. It would go everywhere. Obviously, if you wanted to have something like a traveling inkwell, maybe you could pull the plug and shove the pen in there before any ink has the opportunity to float out. But uh, I don't know if it were me, I would probably let it float around and suck it up right, right in, right, uh, right out of the air before it hit my nice fancy white astronaut shirt. Or I guess it'd be kind of like the blue shirt and khakis. If I was up there. That's, that's have, also a probably have a couple different outfits. Um, but yeah, essentially anything in the reservoir would be in suspension. So uh, Brian and I talked about this and agreed that anything in the ink reservoir would be floating around just all cattywampus, not behaving at all. But after you ink up the pen, the ink in the feed would still be more or less you know, sandwiched in there just because it doesn't have as many places to go. It's probably going to be still kind of trapped within the baffles and the fins of the feed. So that ink, you could probably draw into an absorbent thing, be it paper or a paper towel or something like that. Probably the more absorbent, the more likely it would be to actually extract the ink from the nib and the feed, like a paper towel. Paper would probably be a bit tougher if you've seen videos of astronauts trying to, you know, soak a liquid, uh, so soak something with a liquid, like a rag or something. It doesn't absorb liquid at the rate 
that it would on Earth. Um, it kind of like the water will flop around on it a little ways. It'll get wet eventually, but it's different. So I would expect something absorbent like a paper or a paper mm. towel to uh, behave similar. So you could probably get a good amount of what's in the feed onto a p- piece of paper, perhaps. Um, but uh, what's in the feed, no, nah, that's not going anywhere. That thing, that stuff's just going to be floating around chaotic. Um, mm-hmm. That's why they made the Fisher Space Pen, as most of us have at least heard of. That pen was made famous because it was a rollerball with a pressurized ink refill. So the um, there was actually gas behind the ink part of the uh, refill chamber that forced ink out as you wrote. So that's why they advertised that they could write with it everywhere. Uh, nowadays, I think most of the main major rollerball ballpoint manufacturers have some form of pressurized ink refill. So that's not only a Fisher thing these days, but it's still a thing and it still works. The principles behind it, it's not a gimmick. It's actually, you know, legitimate. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that that is why that came to be. And uh, I don't think that even in their heyday, fountain pens would have been a preferred method of writing in space. Yeah, I think, you know, Just, by the time they were going up to space, I think fountain pens were already not necessarily the default writing option. You know, I think pencils and ballpoints were taken over a little more at that point. So I don't know to what degree fountain pens were even tested in space or anything. But I mean, the capillary action, which was mentioning with the ink in the feed, it'll flow just fine. In fact, you can write with a fountain pen upside down. Um, capillary action, if you think about, you know, the most natural example of capillary action is trees and plants. Like there's water in the ground that soaks up through the roots and the capillary action brings it up against gravity to bring it up to other parts of the tree. So, I mean, capillary action itself, as long as it's making physical contact with that constricted space like you have in the feed channel, um, it's going to flow through. Now, what Drew said about the paper being absorbent and stuff like that, I would have to believe that it's going to impact. You're going to have longer dry times. You're going to have, you know, probably some issues with like wetter writing pens and stuff. Is it going to flow as well? I have no idea. Probably not just because the paper itself, I mean, it doesn't necessarily change the absorbency, but you don't have like gravity helping to like break up that surface tension a little bit. But I mean, I guess you could experiment and, you know, write with paper upside down and that's going to have a somewhat similar effect. I don't really know. But, uh, you know, from what I understand, the physics of it is they should still work, but it would be way more trouble and it's worth trying to try to like actively use a fountain pen in space, but they should, they should write. There you go. But it would also be a problem. And just to get this out there, I know there's like one of these like old rumors of like, oh, the government spent like $10 million developing the pressurized pen. And, you know, the Russian astronauts use pencils. That's a myth. That's actually not true. Just to get that out there. I never heard that. (laughs) It's not true. Yeah. There's like this, you know, you know, these things cycle around. It's I'd actually heard about it before I it got debunked. Now, the Fisher Company developed one. It cost about a million dollars for them to develop it. They did it as like a sort of a passion project for NASA and then sort of essentially kind of like donated whatever. And they turned it into a PR thing. So they, I guess, recouped their money or whatever. But the government did not, you know, pay NASA you know, these ridiculous amounts. And actually, writing with pencils has its own challenges in space because if the lead breaks off, it can like get into equipment and contaminate stuff. So even writing with pencils is not necessarily a perfect solution either. So there actually was some true catalyst and benefit to developing a writing instrument for space. So, you know, just kind of get that out there since we're already talking about space, but uh, I don't think fountain pens are ever much in the conversation, probably because of everything we just talked about. 
All right, Drew. Yes, indeed. Nor should they have been. That would be messy. <laughs> we'll keep them on Earth. That's um, cool. All right. And uh, I, I actually have, you know, a, it, today is a friend-filled pencast, Brian. Um, <laughs> Heather, Emily, and uh, my friend Swong here. Um, one delightful pen friends of mine I've been having the opportunity to talk to for quite some time. That's awesome. Um, so uh, Swong asks, Hart, uh, no, she loves, I love thin line width heart thin line width of Kakuno extra fine. So I think she's expressing that she loves the extra fine. This is through, this is through Instagram, so characters are limited. Extra so, fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, she she did she did good here with the with the with the limit. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll give her credit here. Um, less than eighty dollar pens. Rex recommendations with as or finer nibs, and then Texas. Apparently. Oh yeah, TX. It's Texas. Thanks. Um, right. So. Really made the most of her character limit there. That's good. So, she ever uh, miss bear too. So, Could have written out thanks. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So she's she loves the extra fine like Japanese extra fine kakuno like that. Mm. That's like thirteen fifty or something, Brian. That's a crazy good deal. So what else in that zone has just a rock and extra fine nib? It's tough. I got to be honest with you. The kakuno is going to be up there. It's that's the one to beat. That's the one to beat, especially for that price. All um, right, it's moving on. Much, I mean, okay. So, like, if we really, <laughs> if we really want to get granular with it, I think in looking at our nib nook writing samples, that is pretty much the finest, you know, steel nib, finest sub eighty dollar, um, extra fine that you're going to see. Um, so oh. the platinum desk pen, which used to be the platinum carbon desk pen, it's a similar pen. They just don't package it with the carbon ink anymore. And so they've, they've shifted it slightly, and we'll be uh, talking about that uh, a little bit later today. So they, um, that nib is pretty darn fine as well, the extra fine on it. So I would say that one is probably the closest rival. Um, truth be told, I didn't compare them directly because I haven't used that pen in a number of years, and we don't have it in the nib nook because I have to redo it because they changed the name of it. So I have to rewrite the sample. So Drew's got the one that I'm going to use to write the sample. I just got to get in there and do it. Um, so that one I think is going to be the closest and it's, it's pretty comparable in price too. So I think that one would be a, a close contender. Um, I think the platinum preppy extra fine is also going to be pretty close, maybe a little bit wider, but it's also really freaking fine. So, and that one's cheaper. You're like five bucks for that six bucks. So, you know, if you can find a way to fill it without having to buy a converter, then it's going to cost more than the Kakuno because the converter is expensive, but it's a good converter. Uh, the platinum curate. Well, it's not like the, the the Kakuno doesn't come with a converter either. True, true, good point. Um, the platinum curados. So that one's getting towards that upper limit in the price range, but that one's got a pretty fine, extra fine nib as well, and it's you know got some other functionality with the clickiness of the pen and stuff like that. A um, couple of Jinhaos maybe worth mentioning. The fifty one A, an extra fine, and the Shark. Uh, the Shark is going to be kind of the fattest of this bunch, but you know for oh the curados is actually ninety, Brian. So that doesn't count at all. Okay. Yeah, you're right because it was yeah. sub eighty dollars when it came out. Sub eighty. Well, dun, dun, dun. you'll just have to sell the packaging for ten dollars so that you can uh, <laughs> recoup your. Maybe costs. you can sell the converter, you know, for twelve dollars, and then you'd be sub eighty dollars. You would just we have to, you know, refill cartridges. I guess, which you could always do with any cartridge converter pen. Okay, so forget the Curados, but. All the other ones could suffice, but I would say the desk pen and the preppy would be your closest contenders. Yeah, I, my, my thought was the preppy. That was the first one that I came up with. Yeah. Um, for a long time, I used a preppy with 
carbon black. And mm-hmm. I was surprised by the line width. I thought it was shockingly fine and surprisingly smooth yeah. for a Japanese extra fine. Yeah. And it's, for, the, for, the, for the price, you mm-hmm. know, why not give it a try? You know, it's a preppy. Yeah. I mean, very few people are, I mean, very few people who have expectations for what the preppy is are disappointed by it. Um, it's a, and actually that pen, like the cap seals really well. Like I've, it for does. a long time, I've kept like a preppy in my car and it gets like hot and cold and all that kind of stuff. But it's a great pen to just like leave around for a while because it's pretty reliable and you know, it's going to write up again, you know, as long as the thing doesn't completely dry out on you. It's a, it's a pretty reliable pen. So, man, you know, we don't, they don't, uh, we don't have the Profonte in extra fine. What the heck? Yeah, I don't think it's an option on that one. Yeah. Come on, platinum. I know. They didn't have the they didn't have tra- it in the preppy for a long time. And then they came out with the extra fine on the preppy crystal. And yeah. then they started doing it on the regular preppy. So I mean Man. But it's the same getup, like the same guts as a Profonte and a Preppy. So you could technically buy both and swap it if you really wanted it, or a Plazier for that matter. You know, it's the mm-hmm. same guts on all three of those models. So you could technically yeah. You know, buy an extra fine preppy nib and put it on either of those other pens, and you're still not out that much. You know, a, a Lamy nib or a Yovo nib or a Goulet nib is going to cost. That's you true, and you know what? You could that. say the same thing about the Kakuno, Brian. Yeah. If you wanted a Metropolitan or an Explorer or a Prera yeah. with that extra fine nib, the Kakuno is less yes. than most other replacement nibs on the market. Absolutely. So just you think could of, just buy one of those. Think of it as you're buying a and, replacement nib and you get a spare pen body with it. Yeah. Because that's basically... I, I, th- I think that... Now, I think a Prera would feel like a really you know nice, high quality... That's a $60 pen. Yeah. You pay pay $13.50 for an extra fine nib that comes with the Kakuno attached to it. And then you've got... You're still under the $80 price point and you have that extra fine nib that you know and love on a really swanky pen with a sweet ceiling cap. Or if you like, you know, have a, a newer pen user or a, you know, a child or a younger pen user who wants like maybe more of the fun kind of durable aspect of the Kakuno, then you could get like a medium nib on your Prera, get the extra fine in your Kakuno, swap them and then give the medium nib on the Kakuno. So anyway, you would just wouldn't get the, you wouldn't get the smiley face or the winky face or whatever. You would, you would miss that. But anyway, got some options. Very cool. Got some options. Yeah, that's so, a good one. Solid questions this week. I really liked these. Really liked these. Yeah, these are fun. Thanks for picking all these, Drew. All right, now we're going to move on to the tip of the week. All right. This tip, Ryan, is a, another super simple tip that a lot of people might already know, but it bears reminding yes. because especially if you write with you know, maybe you have three or four pens and you write with them a lot and then a fourth pen or a fifth pen comes in and it just feels different. And you just say, that pen is screwy and wonky and I don't like it. The tomfoolery, the horseplay is unacceptable. Well, maybe that pen is ground a little bit differently and you might just need to raise or lower your writing angle. For me, I write at about a 50-degree angle, Brian. So if you, this is the flat piece of paper, mm-hmm. you know, and that's 90 degrees, you know, a lot of people tend to write in that 45 to 55-degree range. Yeah. And that's where most tipping material is ground, so that the writing pad of that nib is in that zone. 
Depending on what pen you get, though, or who its previous owner was, you never know what that pen has either been ground to, uh, you know, the angle that in which that pen has been ground to right at, or whether or not the previous owner, if you're dealing with vintage pens, who knows where the heck that thing came from. So it before you write the pen off, it bears reminding that you just go up and down a little bit in that, you know, 90 degree arc to find out if it just likes to be written with at a higher or lower angle. Obviously stay away from ro rotating, you know, that shouldn't be a factor, but um, tipping material can vary quite a bit. I've seen many, many nibs, hundreds and hundreds of nibs since I've been working here. And yeah, they are not the same. They are not the same at all. They vary wildly. And depending on where you get it, it could be completely different. If you are only a Japanese pen user and you buy an Italian pen, or if you have a bunch of Italian pens and you go with a Japanese pen, or maybe you've stuck with the same brand, maybe you just have one pen and you love it and you think you want a second one and the second one acts weird. You know, it's not always you. It could be the tipping shape. So mm. just consider raising or lowering. You might find that just a slight shift in your angle could solve all your problems. And more often than not, yeah, it sounds like, oh, I shouldn't have to change to the pen. Some people feel that way. Some people don't. Mm. Um, but it's really not that much. Like I'm talking a tiny, tiny bit up, tiny, tiny bit down. You may not even realize it. It might just, you know, take a few seconds on a piece of paper to remind yourself kind of where you get that dialed in. And then once you have it dialed in, you're usually good to go. So just keep that in mind. Don't write a pen off before you at least try that mm -hmm. and uh, see if that could be the problem yeah. there or not a problem but uh uh idiosyncrasy yeah i think when you you know when you mention about like they can be all over the place you know it's true like a lot of nibs are especially like the final polishing and stuff a lot of it is handwork even from some of the bigger manufacturers there's a lot of handwork involved um mm -hmm. but uh i think it's it's probably fairly safe to say that you can depend a little bit more on you know the same model of pen or the same style of nib if you will you know if it's you know say a pilot steel nib you know the way they grind their fine nibs is going to be pretty consistent on most of their pens you know so when drew's talking about their you know they could be all over the place he's talking more like the broad spectrum of all nibs across all companies good point good point yes, yeah there 100%. there are some companies where there's way more handwork involved and and for sure, like it could vary a little bit from pen to pen. Like I mean, like you buy one of the exact same model of pen, and it could be ground slightly differently. But I think in general, most manufacturers have kind of their particular way of doing it. And so some some models or some nibs or some companies may tend to grind something at for a certain angle or have a writing pad that's a certain size, and it's got kind of a sweet spot, if you will. And uh, that will often tend to be consistent within the same brand or the same model, but it could vary a lot, you know, going to a completely different pen company um, or, or something like that, or maybe a different nib size even. Um, I find that the, the, some of the more sensitive nibs in terms of their writing angle, um, like a lot of stub nibs. So like when I write with stub nibs, I just know that I'm going to have to completely adapt my writing style to best accommodate that stub, especially because they're far less forgiving in the rotation and the side to side. Yes. So you got to be a little bit more precise if you want to get that stub to like really look as crisp as possible. 
you know, and for some people, they're just like, they either don't quite understand that, don't get the hang of it, or they just don't really feel like being kind of like that restricted in their writing yeah. practice. They want to be a little more free to kind of move their hand about. And, and so some people, they're like, this is just not, this is just not for me. And if they're, if they don't quite understand that, or if they just feel like it shouldn't be that way, that may come across as like, oh, this pen is bad or wrong or whatever when maybe it's actually not the case. It's just that's kind of how those nibs are or that's kind of how they need to be to get the end result of how it looks on the page. You know, flex nibs too have kind of their own, you know, way about them. If you hold your writing angle too high and you're trying to write with a flex, you're like mashing it down into the paper as opposed to, you know, if you write with a flex nib, you got to really drop that pen angle to see the most dramatic result. Um, And then if you're, you know, I'm thinking (laughs) this is fresh on my mind because I just did the Sailor video. But that Sailor Music nib, it's essentially a stub, but they grind it to have a, to be, you know, most comfortable with a really high, to me, yeah. what feels like an uncomfortably high writing angle, like a 60, 70 degree angle. That's really where it works best. The Platinum Music nib is that same way. Other stubs, it's much lower. So it really depends on the specific nib. And when you get into those like specialty nibs, it's kind of a whole other world and it's, you know, there are there are some people that when they write with fountain pens, they're like, a fountain pen should fit me in the way I write in my hand. Okay, that's cool. But then you are you're gonna probably be less cool with certain pens. You know, you're gonna be probably desiring to have your nibs customized more by a nibmeister to fit your specific style. And there's nothing wrong with that. Just understand that that's kind of how you're doing it. I personally will, and I spend a lot of time with pens too, kind of like Drew, I'm I'm writing with pens all the time. So I know that when I write with certain brands, certain models or certain nib types, I will adapt the way that I write to get the most out of the pen. And it may mean that, you know, I wouldn't carry something around as a daily writer as much because I don't, it's not most comfortable for me to write in what that pen needs to perform its best. Or I know I could, you know, we've got, we've got some micro mesh and um, you know, that kind of stuff we could, you know, you can technically kind of smooth it yourself, nib warranty claim, disclaimer, all that kind of stuff. Whenever you're adapting your own nib, you know, just be aware you're, you're taking that into your own hands, but you know, certainly you can, you can accommodate some nibs to fit a little bit more of your style. If you love the pen, but you just don't like having to adapt it. There's a lot of options there too, but you know, I, I'm one more to much adapt to my pen, uh, than I am to try to have my pens conform to my hand, but that's just me. Not everybody feels that way. Cool. All right. Good tip. Yeah. So just try that out more intentionally if you have some issues. All right. Next up, we got the pen spotlight on the Platinum Profonte. All right. It's the Platinum Profonte, Brian. You, should, you, you, are, you are a big fan of this. Are, are you, I, I know I am. And I, I swear we had had this in the spotlight before. But mm-hmm. you looked through and, and Jen looked through and we just have i just swear that we've talked about it I, i've probably talked about it in other videos because i like this pen that i'm just thinking we must have had this as a spotlight but i guess we haven't so i don't know either way we're gonna do it today so so what what is your favorite thing about the profonte because here, here here's my thing okay you've got a seven dollar preppy yeah and that's for the extra fine. sure um and then you've got an eleven dollar profonte yeah. that doesn't come with an extra fine why would i want to buy a profonte uh, I mean, okay. So if you're just looking for the extra fine, okay, yeah, obviously the preppy would be the way to go. Uh, me, okay, you know, me personally. Well, if that's not the case, if not if that's not the case, we're doing like you know a five six dollar pen versus an eleven dollar pen. What was sure. st- if that's the case? Why would I buy a Profonte? 
I mean, me personally, a lot of it's aesthetic. Uh, I just, I like the jewel tone. I like the sort of translucent aspect to it. You know, the, especially, it was really, especially with the older preppies that had like the barcode and the print all over yeah, it. Yeah, I was gonna bring you know, that up. They, they've gotten better with the preppy. Like the, the aesthetics of it now, it looks less like an office supply. You know, it used to feel like a, a you know, commodity item. Uh, mm -hmm. The preppy now, they've, they've made that a lot better. Um, and, uh, so I do like that aspect of the newer preppies. So to me, there's nothing wrong with the preppy. It's not really that different. I just, it's really mostly aesthetic. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if the, I would have to like hold the two in my hand. I feel like the, you know, maybe it's just the clip, that metal clip. It just, it looks nicer and it feels a little sturdier to me than that plastic clip that you get on the preppy. Cause I have broken clips off my preppy before by put, trying to put it in like my jeans or whatever, you know, it's got its limit. Mm -hmm. You know, the preppy in general is a fairly brittle plastic. Uh, I don't actually know if the profonte is made of a different plastic, but I, I have not broken a profonte. Uh, mm. I have broken preppies and part of it's cause they're cheap and I just don't really care. So I don't really take as yeah. much care of them. It might be kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy because you know yeah. they're cheap. You can tend to put them in more abused situations. Yeah. And like, it's not like a Profonte so much more that I would like treat it with kid gloves as opposed to a preppy, but I just, I haven't, I don't know. The Profonte is newer and I haven't like carried it around as much as I have a preppy in the past. Uh, but to me, it's, it, to me, it just feels like it's worth a few dollars difference to have a slightly nicer pen. I mean, all the guts are the same. It's going to write the same the overall feel, the weight and all that kind of stuff is, is close enough. Um, you can still eyedrop or convert it and all that. So it's got a lot of the same benefits that a preppy does. I just think it looks a little nicer and you know, all right, here's, I'm going to, I'm going to throw a hypothetical at you because oh boy. I'm not sold on the Profonte. Oh, if okay. if we were to if if we had to drop one of these, which one would you want to drop? Let's say one of them had to be erased from existence. <laughs> okay. The, the Profonte or the Preppy? Oh, gosh. Well, okay. So I, I would look at it with a different lens. With that in mind, oh, I would look at like what do the people want? Because it's not it's not what do I like and what do I want to sell. It is what you like because I'm asking you what you like. Well, I mean the Preppy is a more affordable pen. It's more known. It's been around longer. It's got more like brand equity and stuff like that. So I would keep the mm -hmm. Preppy, but I would be sad. Okay. I would be sad, Drew. To it lose was the so the Profonte is not like no. it's not like lit the world on fire. So I know that it's not like everybody's dumping their Preppies to get the Profonte. I just I think that it's. I don't know. I think it's a nice looking pen. I, to me, it, to it, me, it feels nice like it's a pen. couple bucks more worth it over a preppy. But there are a lot of people who don't feel that way. They think like the preppy is just a, you know, it's a more of a commodity pen. If you want to ink up like a pen and, and you know, eight pens and eight different ink colors and use them for different purposes, you know, the preppy is going to be the better pen for that. It's a clear body. I mean, that's kind of you know, that how kind of I thing. feel. It's like they're, they're both commodity pens, right? Yeah, they so are. Like, I mean, why? yeah. So, but, but why would I spend an extra couple dollars for essentially the same thing because i would if i if it were me and i'm using either of these these are going to both be those beat em up pens for me i would Fair put enough. them in the exact same situations the exact same circumstances pocket pen whatever i'm going to go kayaking or something you know i wouldn't treat the profonte any different so Fair. to me it's like it's a commodity pen so maybe like especially like you said the platinum preppy now they've got fully colored barrels now the caps are still clear but um, there's not as much difference in the new preppies versus the uh, Profantes, um, other than that clear clip. Now, I will say that you're right about that preppy clip. That thing is way more brittle than the metal clip. So that, that's definitely an advantage there for sure.
Yeah. And it's so, still got the barcode thing. Well, that barcode is—is is that printed on the pen? I legitimately can't remember with the preppy. Or is it's it, on the—it's on the cap. I can't remember if it's um, a printer or if it's a sticker. I know it used to be I printed don't. for sure. Yeah, it used to be covered. Oh, now gosh, it does still say—it does still say preppy on the side, which is a little loud. Yeah. So it's like it's—it's really a lot of aesthetics, and then it's the strength of that clip. I don't know. I just—I like the aesthetics of the Profonte a little more, but I mean. It's not like I'm going to die on that hill. I, I still think they're great. They're both great pens. They write the same. So it's really just a matter of preference. I mean, I think. You know, I will agree with you here, though. And I don't know whether or not it's a different plastic, but I will say that when you hold them in the hand. It feels different, Profonte, right? It feels a little softer. I don't, I don't know. I, it, I, it I don't feels, know if that's a psychology thing or if it's like. I don't know either, but I agree with you. So it's not just you. I, I feel like we should know that. We probably should. Well. Probably should know that. I don't even know if I don't even know if luxury brands would know that. I don't know. Maybe it's worth looking into. But Maybe it's worth looking into. <laughs> it's a solid. Pen. Sure I just don't on know. It, page. It's like oh God. for me, there's just not enough difference between the two to say this is worth you know five bucks more. I think that's a fair opinion. Fair enough, Drew. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite color? This is says, says made of resin. Oh, this, see, this is a hard one for me. I knew you were going to ask this. Um, I just came up. All right, so Night C, right? That's the bluish one. I actually, it might be Dark Emerald. I just that. <gasps> I do like teals. That's the thing. Is like obviously I'm a fan of. I I, I do. Obviously think I'm a Emerald fan of blue, best. but I really like teal as well. Probably because it's got a lot of blue in it. Do you think the Dark Emerald is a teal? Oh gosh, I don't know what colors are. Well, I mean, what is any? I'm sorry. I just want to argue with you today. I'm you sorry. You were just uh, being an instigator. <laughs> I don't think it's teal, Brian. Is it just green? Is that just, would you just call it green? It's, it's I, I think it's a true emerald. I think it's like a transparent forest. Uh, I, I yeah, think it's a, I guess it's got. I'm looking, I'm looking at it right now. Do you have it pulled up? I have up? it pulled up. It's, pre, it's pretty green. I don't know, in my eyes, it's got, maybe I'm, maybe I'm seeing what I want to see. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, to me, it's got some, it's got some blue in it for sure. It's definitely got some blue in it. Whether you would call it teal or blue green or dark emerald which is its if anybody name. calls this thing blue green i need to sit down with them and have a conversation about eyesight because <laughs> nobody would call this well blue people green. see different colors drew that is a legitimately a thing like that is a thing people but definitely see colors this is not you would not call this blue green brian <sighs> i just did i feel horse. like i just did didn't i well, I'm, I'm giving you a chance to recant that Are, nonsense. Do you want to sit down with me and have a talk about <laughs> color, about, yes. about eyes? Yes, that's what I'm doing right now. This is. Are you standing? This is fascinating. I am standing. I am not sitting down. All right. Down well, right, can't, now. All right. All right. Well, that's not okay. Then we need to sit down somewhere. Well, you said come you on, said man. You wanna, blue green. You, said you want to sit down? Blue so. green. I don't know. It's just, I think there's an argument to be made about calling it blue green. <laughs> Or green blue. I guess it's more green. It's more green than blue. There's no question about well, that. Oh yeah. I don't know. Whatever. This doesn't matter. But dark emerald, I it probably <laughs> okay. edges it out a little bit for my favorite color. Maybe I do. No, I agree. I think it's, that's definitely the best. I one do like sure. things other than blue. Like I'm like in the whole cake versus pie thing. Like I'm definitely team cake, but I love most pies. Like I'm not gonna turn down a pie. Same. Same here. Same. I here. just don't like all pies as much as I like most cakes. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like. It's kind I'm of the same you. thing. Like I love blues, but like I'll be honest, sometimes it's nice to see something other than blue because I see so much I know, blue I, all the time. 
I think uh, it was it was pretty shocking when um, you revealed that the fanny pack that you chose uh, was not blue. Well, they didn't really have a good Goulet blue. They had like a navy blue, and it's like uh, to me, navy blue is it's a, it's it's not even close. It's it might mm. as well be a completely different color. It's like navy blue is not Goulet blue. It's just not. I mean, have you ever even had like a true blue vehicle? Like you've never really had a blue, no, I've never a had blue a blue vehicle, vehicle. Have you? Yeah. Vehicles are different because I don't. Well, no, yeah. Rachel's car is blue, but it's like a light blue. Vehicles okay. are different because you just don't, you know, to customize it and stuff, it's just you don't really get a lot of choices. Like, I yeah. about, like I'd, I'd rather pay, like, get a better deal or, or you know, yeah. whatever. I, don't, I just don't care. And, like, with yeah, a vehicle, it's outside and it shows dirt and all that. Like, I'd rather get a color that's, like, more practical and stuff, even though my car now is black yeah. and shows everything, which is awful. Yeah, we got a red car and neither of us wanted a red car, but it was, like, way cheaper than the gray one that we were looking at. Yeah, so it's like... Yeah, that's the way it goes. Yeah, no, like, I don't care about my car that much. It's just whatever, you know. Yeah. People, you know, like, I mean, we've both, we've, we've both driven Aztec, so we know that we don't care about cars very I much. I have, going back to past episodes <laughs> where we talked about the fact that I've owned multiple of the same car. I literally owned yes. two gold Pontiac Aztecs at the same time for several years. Man. And both of them went down in a blaze of glory. Well... Less so on the first one. The second one, that definitely went down a blaze of glory. Second one definitely yeah. went down a blaze of glory. But anyway. Like, th- that one almost tried to kill you. It did. But back to our point, the Dark Emerald is probably... <laughs> Dark Emerald! What are we talking about? Are we doing a pencast? Oh, that's right. Anyway, so that's the Platinum Profonte. Let us know what you think. Do you think it's a pile of hot, hot pile of garbage and should be destroyed <laughs> and just let the preppy <laughs> reign supreme? Or do you like maybe having some options and sometimes it's worth a couple of bucks? Because I'm sure you've spent like four bucks on something completely frivolous that was an absolute waste. And you're like, me? And you're like, yeah, I probably could have not gotten that piece of garbage and, you know, maybe gotten a slightly nicer pen and then, you know, felt a little bit cooler. I have bought many $4 pieces of garbage. (laughs) Right. So I can't talk. Yeah, like a coffee at most places is going to run you (laughs) close to that. Or at least a latte. Probably not just a plain black coffee, but like a a latte for sure would run you. Anyway, there you go. That's the Profonte. Now it's time to talk about less relevant things in what's happening. Um, so Brian, yeah, I went to the Raleigh Pen Show. You did last weekend. Yes, I did. So I got to go to a pen show. Those are always delightful. I love the Raleigh Show because it's tiny mm. um, compared to some other pen shows. Tiny compared to the ones that I've been to. Anyway, like miniature, um, so like I is get everything a lot of, miniaturized, uh, like little bottles of ketchup at the restaurants, correct. small that's utensils. Correct. Yeah, very tiny okay. pens. Yep, um, but no, it's uh, just the just the one room, but it's relaxing. You get to have plenty of time to talk to everybody you want to talk to, yeah. and I, I value that a lot. So yeah. that's one of the reasons it's my favorite my favorite show. Um, I haven't been to as many as I'd like to, so maybe that won't be the case always. But right now, it's probably the one I look the most forward to every mm. year. So um, I got to see a bunch of friends of the show, which is delightful. Um, should have brought some PenCast stickers, and I just didn't. I didn't bring anything, oh, so well. I felt kind of bad for that. Whoops. But uh, I'll owe you next time. So, yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, newsflash, still couldn't find a pilot Stargazer. So <sighs> that's like the only thing I look for at Pen shows. I'm mm. like, does anybody have a Stargazer? Nope. Okay. Mm. The end. Um, got to see our uh, friend uh, David Parker, Mister Fig Boot on pens. Hey, he was there. All right. That's uh, in his in his you know proverbial backyard. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jonathan Brooks of uh, Carolina Pen Company was there. Always a pleasure to talk to him. Yes. He talked. He uh, shared with us that story about him giving some pens to Neil Gaiman, and that was a pretty pretty epic tale. Nice. So 
that was, that was fascinating and uh, it's just very cool to see. Uh, so Neil Gaiman allegedly lost his 823, his prized Pilot 823. Um, yes, in his fireplace. His son dropped it through a hole that put it back behind his stone fireplace so he can't get it's like in oh, the not of like the home a now. burning raging fire like no like literally behind the masonry like it is now lost to the depths of his home wow um, so technically so, uh, it could be retrieved one day one day when the house is demolished i suppose or when they have some like major refurbishments done wow um that so yeah that's tragic, back there man. yeah if anybody buys the house that that, that would be a good uh, piece of ebay uh material right there <laughs> yes i'm sure neil gaiman's house i'm sure the pen that's stuck in the stone <laughs> is going to be the main draw well you know maybe they could recoup the cost of the fireplace renovation by selling the pen for a couple thousand dollars on ebay there you go or just get another 823 and say that it was neil gaiman's pen which oh, I'm fair sure enough. yeah happen. no one would know um and uh yeah but he he did that and he actually gifted gaiman a uh, another 823 that he had done some custom Urushi work on Ooh. that looked really, really nice. Yeah. So very stuff that only Jonathan could do. So that was awesome hearing that story. Um, got to all obviously look at all the fun pens and uh, had a great time, you know, at dinner after dinner, it was a delightful, delightful little romp. And uh, the, the drive wasn't too bad either. It's just three, three hours South traffic wasn't awful. Hit a little bit of coming back, but mm-hmm. overall um, my favorite thing though, uh, was anybody who had already known me, and uh, just was like, oh, hey, um, you know, I like the Gulab stuff. And there's some people ask, like, is it weird? Like, no, like when people come up to you and they know you, but you don't know them. And 100 percent. No, not weird at all. I like it, it's the weirdest thing. Like I've said before that I feel like we're talking to people here, you know, yeah. and when I actually meet people that watch this, I do feel like that. It's like I, it's like this yeah. familiarity of that. Like that. That's one hundred percent the way I feel. Like I just feel like there's just you know a couple thousand people just right behind that camera right now. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, I don't actually feel that way because if I did, I wouldn't be able to speak because that would freak me out. But yeah. in essence, yeah. that doesn't it doesn't bother me at all, or doesn't make me feel weird at all when someone comes up and says, "I know you." I'm like, yeah, "Great, I feel like I know you too." Like. It's that it's that instant connection. Even if you just meet somebody, yeah. uh, never having seen them or they, never having them see you, just knowing that you're both into pens, there's that instant familiarity where you have yeah. something in common with that person that you don't have in common with like the most of other people in your country or humanity, even. So yeah, I, I just love that feeling, and it's just such a delightful environment to be around in and yeah. uh, the people there are just so super nice too that's so cool i mean i think it's like an introvert's dream right because it's like yeah i think like just going out into a random like networking function or some social gathering and it's like oh my gosh i got like the, the topic of conversation could go anywhere and it's like i have to ask like the broadest range of questions and try and narrow it down to a topic that will keep both of our interests like that's a lot of work. You know what I mean? I think most people are like yeah. kind of exhausted by that. But the great thing about something like a pen show or any other like of our, you know, kind of like hobbies where we get to go really deep, you know, when you're going to a place that is set up for people like that, where they've all kind of studied and they know the same vernacular and language and have shared experiences like that, you can just literally walk up to anybody in that show 
and just be like, so what pens do you have on you or what are you looking for? I mean, the same reasons you're there are the same reasons that they're there. And you can just like, you don't have to go into all these depths of everything about your life. You can literally just talk about your pens and what you like and show them their stuff. And you can have a great yeah. like instant bond without having to go like all over the map in terms of the conversation to try and find something that you can both latch onto. So it like, to me, it just like cuts out 90% of the small talk and you get to like right to the heart of like what you're all excited about. And it's it's even great for someone who A, isn't very social and B, super lazy like myself. I don't have to, if I meet somebody that I know has been listening to a bunch of these episodes, I'm like, you already know about me. So go. I don't have to say, I don't have to do anything. I just need to get to know you. Yeah. So it's like it's like half of the work's already done. You know, you, you know me. So let, let me ask some questions about you. And that's the way it goes. It's like, how great just not to have to explain yourself at all. I mean, I always forget what I tell people anyway. Like, oh, I already told you that. Okay, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah. So I don't have to worry about that. They're like, oh yeah, how's the dog? I'm like, oh great, let me tell you about the dog. How's Archer? Oh, Archer's doing great. It's like, you already got it figured cool. out. You know me, cool. um, I just need to get to know you. So it is a really fantastic dynamic. It's a great environment to be around. I love it every time. Yeah. Um, and then moving on from that though, uh, I did get someone on the YouTubes asked me how my ink bottle terrariums were going. Yeah. I don't know if you remember a while ago. So I did that. They're closed terrariums. So the goal would be to assemble them with the soil, the plants and everything, put a little bit of water in them, and then just evaporation would take place and keep everything uh, alive. Uh, There'd be enough oxygen in there to keep it going. The plants would produce their own. Ideally, a self-contained little... um, Little biosphere. Yeah. Um, So the answer is fine they're all still alive no no never mind they're not all still alive i gave one to adrian the one in my uh uh aurora bottle she put that in her office and um everything started turning brown and she opened it and said it smelled horrible oh no so that that one got thrown away but the three that i have uh still at home are still fine the aroshizuku one looks pretty gnarly like all of the Mm. moss has like grown up to the top of the bottle um, it looks just kind of like an alien landscape in there. Not great looking. There's some brownish stuff going on there. So that one's probably the worst of the, of the three. Mm. And then the other two, the other two look pretty much fine. Um, so nothing's brown. Everything's still green. So okay. I, I guess it's fine. How long has it been now? It's been in, like in, uh, m- months, right? Yeah, it's been a couple months, I think. Hmm. So um, I mean, overall better than i expected you, you kind of disclaimed when you did it you were like these are probably all going to die and i'm never going to do this again but yeah yeah i mean if i mean i'll do it again but not in ink bottles i, I like uh, terrariums i think it's fun but ink bottles is just it's is it too small it's, like it just feels like it's it is too small it feels like it you, you would small. have to be hyper precise with the proportions of everything you put in there you are you are and that and that's the fun part but hmm. once they actually start to grow fun. and live then it well yeah it is it's like if you like model building is that same sort of that same sort of thing yeah um it's like the little little miniatures or anybody who paints miniatures for D &D or warhammer or something like that it's it is more about the detail of it yeah right but then once that's done the thing about these terrariums is that they will grow and Mm. yeah it'll look cute at first but there's not enough room for anything to actually develop and then it just looks kind of kind of gnarly so uh I will. I would do. I will definitely do one again, but I'll do it larger so that it, things actually have room to grow. So, so um, if you do a terrarium like that and say it like turns brown and gets kind of funky and all that, if you just keep it closed, won't it technically just like won't fungus go in there and decompose everything, and then won't things 
I guess if everything's like completely dead, you'll just be filled with like fungus, right? Like it's yes, it's not like coming yeah. back from that, is it? No, um, that that's that that's the thing. It's it's all like fungus and mold and mildew. So um, okay. that's what you that's what ultimately will take over. Okay. Yeah, because that's when you you have too much moisture in there like, and you don't have enough. Yeah, because that is like circle of life kind of stuff. Like I obviously play around in my woods all the time. Bingo. Um, so yeah, I definitely like when I'm playing around and like scraping up crap off the forest floor, it's like filled with fungus and all kinds of stuff. Cause it's like, yeah. that's what decomposes stuff so that it breaks down so that it provides more nutrients. And that is part of the cycle of life. Yeah. But yeah, I guess you need some microorganisms to keep the fungus in check. Yeah. I guess if it's um, all fungus, there's yeah, nothing. You need these little, <laughs> there are these little creatures that, you know, pro terrarium people will put in called springtails. And okay. they are these tiny, tiny little organisms. They're not, they're not microscopic, but they're, they're tiny. Hmm. Um, I've actually never seen one in person, so I can't tell you exactly how tiny. But, like sea, mon- uh, they... like sea monkeys? Like that <laughs> I small? Know, Remember sea monkeys? I do. I never had you never any. had sea monkeys? No, I did not. I think my sister had sea monkeys. I don't know if I ever officially had sea monkeys. They're like brine shrimp, right? Yeah, they're like tiny little shrimpy things in water. Yeah. They just look like dirty water basically but they kind of swim around and stuff (laughs) but yeah a lot of the 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 people who are serious about it will make sure that those get in the terrariums to keep the uh unwanted living element in check it's pretty cool that whole concept is just really cool to me i mean it's like it is i'm fascinated by it i'd love to do more with it 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 definitely is a bit of a rabbit hole for sure it is i mean me personally i follow i follow a couple terrarium pages on instagram and reddit so I see enough to make me jealous. Yeah. Yeah. Just that and like gardening and all that kind of stuff in general, just like understanding how all that stuff like interplays. I find it fascinating and kind of like overwhelming. Like, I mean, as much as it definitely is, as much as I seem to know about pens and tools and things like that, I'm not like that with everything. Like we all have our strengths and all that when it comes to like living organisms. Oh boy. Like it's, I have such a black thumb. It's not even funny. Well, you've kept you 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 have ventured into the living organism uh, venture by having two hamsters already. So yes, you know, that's more that's than that's more than you ever true. thought you'd do. I wouldn't maybe call them living organisms. I guess technically that is true. But yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. We've you know well, one of them has died, but I don't think that was our fault. I think it was just the no, 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 life. No, no, no. Hamsters don't live that uh, long. Absolutely. The other one's doing fine. She's quirky, but you know. She loves to run in her wheel because she, she keeps putting bedding in her wheel and then tries to run it. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you're just making this hard on yourself. And then we'll take a bedding out of her wheel and the next night filled bedding again. And it's just like, oh, yeah. And that wheel is like outside of the cage. It's like one of those that like attaches through the tubes. So the bedding keeps like coming out through the wheel and gets bedding everywhere. I'm just like, come on, <laughs> weird little hamster. I, I, uh, what are you doing? When the sh- it's making your, when making your life harder. My wife had come home yesterday because she had left. Uh, she works at home, but she left early to get go get groceries. She came back and she's like, "Oh my god, what happened to your nose?" I was like, "What?" And I touch it, and she's like, "It's bleeding." I'm like, "No, no, it's not. No, it's not." And I look in the mirror, big old bloody splotch right in the middle of my nose because I was playing with the dog and he bites noses. It's a thing. Oh gosh, he bites because because like I put my face all over him. Yeah. And like rah, 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 you're like full you know? contact with your dog. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you got to put your face in dogs. That's just where your face belongs. Um. And uh, yeah, he bites my nose like a lot. But uh, yesterday, apparently, he had actually made me bleed, and I was bleeding out of my nose for a good long while until it dried up and started looking disgusting. Oh wow! So, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So I probably have rabies now. 
I'm just kidding. He has a shot. <laughs> I was going to say, rabies is, no, so, rabies is no joke. Oh, I know. I saw that episode of The Office. That's right. Race for the Cure. That's right. Um, I believe that is the second reference of that very episode from The Office that we have made in this podcast. Oh, that's right. Because yes. we talked about the fettuccine. Yes, indeed. Oh, man. Um, what did you do this weekend, Brian? Well, I didn't go to the show. I what? talked about how I was going to plan maybe, and then I was bailing on it as we were having the pencast. But I did bail. Um, you know, I could have gone. I really would have liked to go. There's a lot about going to pen shows that I really love. But it's just, you know, got family stuff. And, you know, when I go to do something on the weekends, that takes away very precious time to spend with my family and do stuff around the house that helps my family throughout the week. The kids are like almost done with school. Our school gets out really late. And we're just like trying to cross the finish line there. So it would have put more stress on Rachel. It would have stressed me. So it's like, it was really tough to not go because I would have really enjoyed it, but it would have come at a cost. And I am like 99% of the time, I'm like, ah, I can do it all. Let me just kind of push through and all that kind of stuff. But it was like, yeah, you know, and I had like full encouragement from everybody to do it. But it was, it was like, I'm thinking about not doing it. And a lot of people were like, yeah, maybe you should think about that. You know, kind of like getting that from like 10 different people. It's like, uh, okay, you know, rarely will I lean into, maybe I should try to do a little bit less. You know, and I ended up having a really great weekend. You know, my parents live in a uh, like little condo community and they've got a pool in their neighborhood and we took our kids to the pool and they had an absolute blast. Like the weather was gorgeous. So I just got to have lots of really good family time this weekend. And I got to just like take my time doing stuff around the house and all that. And so it's like, as much as I missed the show, it was it was probably the right thing to do just for you know, my life's sake, my own stress and these types of things. And that's just, that's what's hard about this stage of life I'm finding is that I'm just being leaned on in a lot of different directions from a lot of different people for different things, business-wise, family-wise, all these types of things. And it's like, it's-, it's I don't need you uh, for anything. Yeah, I know, right? Um, Nothing. I try to be as unreliable as possible, but <laughs> you know, it still doesn't work. <laughs> Um, no, but it's just, you know, there's a lot of demands and, uh, you know, it comes with its stresses and stuff. So I'm trying to just balance that out a little bit. So it's, it's hard to like turn down an opportunity to go do something, especially it's like, oh, it's the show. It's not going to happen again for another year at least. But then it's like, yes, that's true. But I will find opportunities like that to overcommit myself every single day of the week. And then I really do push myself and, and then I don't slow down until like, I'm crashing. And I was like, maybe I should slow down before I'm crashing so that I don't mm. crash maybe. Um, so that's a new thing for me and I'm just trying it out. So we'll see how it goes. But I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, the thing I will say though, related to pool things. So, um, you know, before, cause we just had Memorial day and that's in the U S here, at least that's where a lot of pools will open up. They'll go Memorial day to labor day. So basically like the summer months, uh, especially here in Virginia. So um, before Memorial Day, though, um, we have one of those like inflatable pools. You know, they're relatively inexpensive. You blow them up, you fill them with water from your garden hose. Your kids play in them, they get scummy and disgusting, and then you have to figure out what to do with them. So we had that. Ellie just really enjoyed the heck out of the pool because Rachel's parents visited last weekend. So it was Memorial Day and all that. And then it was like, her parents left on Tuesday morning and it was like, oh, I don't really have time. Now we're like into the work week, a compressed work week because I took Monday off. And then I was like, oh, I don't really have time to clean out the pool and do all that. And I was like, it'll probably be okay until the next weekend. It's going to be hot. Maybe Ellie will use it. But I severely underestimated just how disgusting that pool was going to get 
over the next several days. So it gets to the point where it's like slimy and just like it's completely nasty. Ugh. And so the, and now it's like killed the grass in the yard and it's like tag on it. Like you really can't leave those pools for more than like a couple of days. And so, yeah. so, and like Rachel, bless her heart. She just wants to have great experiences with the kids, but she like bought that pool and we've had these pools before and I curse them every year. Cause I'm the one that has to like set them up and clean them and deal with them. You know, and the kids love it. So it's like, okay, I'll do this thing. But then it's yep. like, I mean, it's literally like hours to like set it up, clean it up, do the whole thing. And then I got to store it somewhere and all that. Yeah, that's like, that's like me and that darn slip and slide. Yes. It, get, it was, it was get, every year it's more complicated. Like, oh, this one's got an inflatable extra thing. This yeah. one's got a little watery goo bounce thing. And yeah. it's longer. So I have to drape it over other parts of the deck to dry it off. Yeah, dry it off. And then you got to store it. And then it's, you know, and then it gets holes in it. You got to patch it. But that patch doesn't really hold. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all, all the of the above. And even after one day, my grass was on the verge of dying. Oh, yeah. And this thing was here for a week. So now there's like this huge dead spot. And I'm like, yeah. All the yard work that I've been doing is like, Cool. Now there's just dead patch. I feel you. But to be fair, like I left it there and it's like I knew that that was going to be a thing. So yeah, just dealing with that. And it's like, so I was like, oh, do they make like pool filters for inflatable pools? It's like, I feel so dumb to be doing that. But it's like literally every time I set it up, it's like hours I have to deal with this thing. So then I looked into it and it was just like, oh my gosh. Then you're into like chemicals and pH balance and all this stuff. And I was like, Ugh. I was like, maybe no. it's easier just to like go to my parents more regularly since they have access to a pool now. And just like, there you go. that's what we're going to do. It's kind of a pain, but it's easier than dealing with this thing. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. My kids love it though. It's just one of those things. It's like if the kids love it and then it just makes it all worth it. So as long as they enjoy it. But if they like, if I set it up and they don't want to use it or they're like bickering about it and then I'm like, screw this. This thing is gone forever, but they're still mm-hmm. enjoying it. So I'm doing that. Um, and then, uh, just doing more TIG welding, practicing some of that a little bit, um, especially welding aluminum. So that's a whole new thing for me. You can't do that with a MIG welder. You gotta have TIG. So, I mean, you can do it with MIG, but I'm not going to get all into it, but, um, I don't have the tools to do it with MIG. So I'm trying with TIG and it's just, I'm learning a lot about metal and metal properties and stuff like that. Um, it's basically like having a sun torch in your hand cause it burns, you know, with close to the heat of the sun. Uh, and it's, uh, yeah, you're controlling that arc and fusing, literally fusing metal together. It's very, very cool from like a n- neatness perspective, but very hot from like a temperature perspective. So just making sure I don't injure myself or light anything on fire or burn things. I'm not supposed to burn. Haven't done anything tragic yet. And I have definitely fused metal together. So it's pretty cool, but it's, Boy, do I feel like a noob. Oh my gosh. I'm like trying to find all the supplies and I go into the place and I'm asking the guys about certain materials and they're like, what are you talking about? Like, what are you, what are you trying to ask for? And I'm like, I don't know. Oh, these are numbers are all confusing, but I'm getting the hang of it now. They even like offered me a job. They're like, you've been here like four times this week. I'm like, I know I'm just like getting geared up with supplies and I need things that I don't have. And Yeah. I've already used up a full tank of argon, the shielding gas that's used for TIG. So I had to get a slightly bigger one and swap out the gas and all that. So yeah, that's a whole thing. So it's kind of fun, but I guess I did find a couple of good sources for scrap metal. So I'm not dumpster diving anymore. I found, oh, no, no. I mean, I believe me, I'm going to be on the lookout for it, but um, you know, I found a, I found a place that uh, it's called metal marketplace. So they do like, oh. they do like metal fabrication stuff, but they sell to the public as well. So they sell, like all their cutoffs and scraps and stuff like that. Um, but they just like sell it by the pound. 
So I just went and got like a whole variety of different types of, you know, bar stock and tube and stuff like just so I can practice. Cause like, I don't want to, I don't want to buy like really nice stuff just to practice with. So I got a whole bunch of metal. So now I can like, okay, I can, I can really practice and, and hone my skills. That's, that's sort of why I, part of why I started going through so much gas is cause I'm like, all right, I have, I have the equipment, I have everything kind of set up and now I can just truly like practice my skills. So it's uh, it's cool. It's very much like, I don't know, it's fine motor skills. You have to pay, really pay attention to what you're doing. It feels kind of like if you're like writing with like calligraphy or doing like flex nib kind of stuff. Like there's very specific techniques you have to do. You have to really pay attention to what you're doing in the moment. It's a lot like that. So I, I just appreciate that about the controllability of it in that respect. So I'm, I'm enjoying it. I just uh, wish that I was better than I am, which is just, there's no shortcuts. You just got to practice. Yeah, you'll get there. Yeah, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. All right. So that's it for my personal stuff. Uh, now we have a couple of uh, company updates. All right. I don't know why. What's going on with the comp neighbor? I don't know why I said a couple of updates. It's one update, really. Um, I mean, we're doing stuff all the time, but uh, we have a website uh, update that we've done this week. And uh, it's not like a super huge difference for you all uh, in terms of using like the front end of the store. But on the back end of our store, we have some major changes that we did. We've actually been working on it for months. So it's related to the like filtering and search functionality. Uh, on our website. So the one, the the application that we've been using to do a lot of the search and filter stuff has been a little buggy. It's been a little outdated and we've been looking to replace it for some time, but it's a lot of backend work. Rachel spent a lot of time on it with our developers um, to set all that stuff up, a lot of tagging stuff, a lot of just testing to make sure that everything works as we think. Um, so we did roll that out this week and obviously there's gonna be bugs and stuff like that that we're gonna work through. Um, but there should be some, you know, we like pared down some of the search and filter options that nobody was really using. Um, we might have some new additional ones and some options to do things a little differently in the future, but it should be much more reliable uh, in the future. Uh, the biggest thing that you're gonna notice for the next couple of weeks anyway, is the product comparison feature, like literally being able to pull up one product next to the other. That is not there right now. We're gonna be putting it back. It's, it's just a temporary thing that is not there, but we have to fix some other stuff before we can get that in place. So um, we had to sort of do it in stages, not to get overly technical, but you know, we knew that we'd have to be without that feature for a little bit. So just know that if you rely heavily on that, it's gonna come back. Um, it's just going to be uh, you know a couple of weeks there until we do it. So, you know, some you can play around with. I don't know how many, I think our, probably our team is using it more than anybody else, uh, especially when, you know, customers are asking for help. But um, if you use our website a lot, you might notice some differences in terms of the uh, filters and stuff. So it's, you know, it's, it's always a great way to use it. If like, you want to see, you know, pens in a certain price range or, you know, you want to filter down 14 karat nibs that are within a certain price range or color, you know, on the pen body or something like that, we have all that functionality in there. And so it's a great thing to go around and play with. Um, so if you happen to be there and give us some feedback based on how you use it, we've tried to test it as much as we can, but you know, there might be weird things that we, you know, get told about and then we can fix them and all that kind of stuff. So that's going to be, um, you know, the biggest thing that we're going to have going on the site for the time being. All right. And I think that's just about to do it for this week. We'll go ahead and wrap this thing up. All right, folks, we want to thank you all for watching. Please leave us some feedback on how we're doing. Ask us some questions so that we can continue to have such solid Q&As like we did this week. Uh, check out Goulet Pens for your fountain pen, ink, paper, sealing wax, brass sheet, 
needs and other various things, uh, you can email us at pencast at gulepens.com if you have some other questions, especially if you're an audio listener. And my fun fact today actually kind of ties into something what we were talking about, Drew. Ooh. Kind of worked out nicely like that. I was telling you earlier, I kind of love it when it works out like that. So, nice. What's it about? It has to do with fungus, actually. Oh, yay. So today, bacteria and fungi will eat away fallen trees, but that wasn't always the case. Bacteria had to evolve to eat wood. So hundreds of millions of years ago, trees would simply just fall. And then upon their death, they would just stay there on the ground and just pile up. So you'd have these large piles of dead wood and nothing would actually break them down. So what you ended up with, with these like forest fires of just unimaginable proportions that would burn these massive mounds of dead wood because there was nothing else to break them down. And according to National Geographic, that's actually where most of the coal that we have today came from, was from these massive forest fires that burned up all these trees. Whoa. Isn't that crazy? Because like, that like the charcoal is basically coal mixed with sawdust. I don't know if you knew that. But like charcoal, you have like charcoal briquettes. That's really all that it, yeah. all it is. So if you think of like, char- like where does coal come from? Apparently it comes from lots and lots and lots of dead trees that were not decaying back before fungus was a thing. So pretty cool, right? Dang. That is rad. Yeah, I told you I had a good one today. That was a good one. Yeah. So anyway, that's all we got for you today. Um, we're going to catch you all next week. Thank you so much for watching and right on.